0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: Baggers, Welcome to another edition of The Brown Bag. It's your boy, your family member, your nephew, Michael T. Brown here. Hey, follow us on Twitter, at MTBrown98, or connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook. That's Facebook.com slash TheBrownBag1, where you can post questions for our guests. Uh, you can also catch our broadcast on demand after taping or get a free download on iTunes. If you've missed any of our previous broadcasts, no worries. Just go to blogtalkradio.com search the brown bag, and listen at your leisure. Hey, friends, we've got a great broadcast in store for you today with two key difference makers that are both making a positive impact within their community. Some communities have seen more than their fair share of violence and depravity. Mike, it sure is refreshing to see individuals who are not afraid to tackle these issues head on. What about you?
0: Yeah, it's really good to see people who are are reaching out to our youth and and getting them engaged and understanding uh, what leadership is all about and, you know, a higher purpose. So, you know, both of these guys are are well enriched into this community, and uh, the things that they're reaching out to doing, I think, uh, should be applauded and also highlighted.
1: Absolutely, and we're definitely glad to have both of them on today and highlight much of the great work that they're doing. Why don't you go ahead and introduce our first guest for us, please?
0: Wes Bellamy's main focus is improving the lives of those who lack resources and positive role models in their lives. Originally from Atlanta, Georgia, Wes moved to Charlottesville, Virginia in September of 2009 after graduating from South Carolina State University. He began his career at the National Ground Intelligence Center. Bellamy now teaches computer science and African-American studies at Albemarle High School and is studying at Virginia State University to gain a master's degree in education administration on December 7 2011 Bellamy started the nonprofit H Y P E which stands for helping young people evolve hype is a boxing and mentoring program currently serving 24 boys additionally in September of 2012 Hype step was created in Women Empowerment Program for Young Ladies. Hype, based and predicated on discipline and accountability, has seen astonishing results. In a little over one year, the overall grade point average of participants jumped from 1.8 from December 8th of 2011 to 3.2 as of April 14th, 2013. The program was so successful that a second location in Columbia, South Carolina, under Bellamy's leadership, also sponsors Community Days, Coat Drives, and empowers youth and communities in whatever way possible.
1: Mr. Wesley Bellamy, welcome to the Brown Bag.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, We're definitely glad to have you on, and your good friend, Sarah Davenport, he's standing by listening, and we look forward to getting him on here in a little while as well. But Wes, I wanted to start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and what led you to begin the nonprofit organization Hype, Helping Young People Evolve?
2: Sure, and again, I can't thank you guys enough for having me on the show, as well as my brother, not only in Christ, but my my really good friend, Mr. Sarah Davenport. Uh, What kind of got me started was after I moved to Charlottesville in 2009 and I was working my government job, and I tell people all the time, I absolutely loved my salary, but I hated my job. I dreaded going to work every single day, but it was a a very difficult decision for me being a young man fresh out of college and making nearly $70,000 a year. I'm thinking that, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is the life that is meant for me. However, I felt and discovered very early on that that wasn't my passion. I started um, volunteering, and spending, volunteering at the Boys and Girls Club, our local Boys and Girls Club, and spending some time in the neighborhood in which Surrat is from, um, the West Haven housing development in Charlottesville. And I realized that these kids are just like me. They were the exact same as I was growing up in Atlanta. I saw a lot of them doing different things um, in terms of uh, slap fighting or play fighting, and, and just uh, they needed discipline. And I thought to myself, you know, why not I will be the person that kind of helped them out with this? I took the idea of hype to the Boys and Girls Club, and they didn't really like it. They um, didn't know if it was, quote, unquote, for them. So instead of uh, getting frustrated and trying to go another route, just say, hey, I saw my own nonprofit. And um, I told the kids in the neighborhood as well as the city that, hey, this is going to be your program. The program is completely free of charge. All you guys have to do is show up. And uh, I soon, shortly thereafter, quit my job to go to law school. And I said, that hey, uh, I'm going to go to law school so that I can really try to help these kids out on the policy side. But the kids continued to tug at my heart. And I couldn't leave them. Um, After quitting my job and taking the LSAT test and getting into about six, I got into seven different law schools, I just said to myself, hey, you can't start a program and have these kids vested in it and then just up and leave them. So I deferred law school. Our county school superintendent actually talked me into becoming a teacher, and she said, you don't need to be a lawyer. You should be a teacher and you should be a principal. Um, President Barack Obama came to Charlottesville in the year 2010, and he was campaigning for our former congressman, Mr. Tom Perriello, and I actually just got the opportunity to ask him. I said, "Uh, hey, do I have to go to law school to be able to help out my community from a policy level? And he said, no, you don't have to do those things. All you have to do is work hard, stay focused, and I hear that you're already doing pretty good things in the community. Just stick with it and get some experience. And four years later, here we are. We have hype with now two locations. Uh, We've been able to lead several different community initiatives. So Rad and I have helped found an organization here called the Young Black Professional Network in which we have done several different community events, and we've really been able to see a change in our neighborhood. So, I mean, it's wow. like the like the elders in my church used to say, tell God your plans, watch him laugh, and then watch him tell you what you're really going to do. Wow,
1: that's good. That's good. Now, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing take place within the program.
2: Yeah, so hype, we've been able to to do some, some very good things. We've still got some work to do. I feel like you always can strive to achieve more. But as you alluded to in the introduction, we've been able to see our GPA, our cumulative GPA, raised from 1.8 to 3.2. We've been able to open up a second location down in Columbia, South Carolina, in which we're now starting to see some strides in some of the kids in their grades in terms of also, excuse me, and also in participation. Um, for the kids, specifically in Charlottesville, we've seen an a attitude change in many of our kids. Last year, we had our first graduating class. Um, some of our older kids who started with us back in 2011 finally got through and graduated. And I tell you, man, it's, it's, it is heart-pulling to see. It tugs on your heartstrings a little bit. I had two of my kids, and one in particular who graduated last year, who by all accounts when he first came into our program, he was making straight Fs, literally straight Fs in the classroom. And many people told him that he would not graduate he needed to drop out get his GED and just think about doing something else well the last semester when he was in high school he graduated with all A's and B's and that's wow. because of his attitude change i mean we've seen different kids in our neighborhood excuse me different kids in our program go through the program be able to get the discipline that they need and uh use that discipline in the classroom, not get into fights, not get into some of the things that they were getting into, be able to make solid, sound decisions while they were in school as well as in their community, see what it truly means to give back to others in terms of having coat drives and turkey giveaways and things of that nature. With the young ladies, we've been able to see them actually grow and love and value the image that they see in the mirror. Actually, get some self confidence through the step program. So I mean, and also through hype, we've been able to kind of become and build other community leaders. So now we kind of have a little bit more recognition, and we've been we're able to go to different. We're able to partner with other programs and go to other individuals and let them know that hey, you all see, we have a program that works. We have more credibility now, we can also say let's try and use some of these same methods as well as partner with others to have a more a uh, greater impact rather on our entire community. so it's been great to say the least
1: wow that that's powerful Wes. now let me ask you this um and I want to get Sarad on here, but before I bring him on um the hype program you it's the main focus has a has the athletics part in it as well you're you're taking young people you know at, off the street, getting them involved uh-huh. in athletics uh, through boxing, talk a little bit about how sports and how channeling some of that energy is going to be able to you know help young people and and I preface it with, preface it with this you know I talk to young people all the time, and I say, you know you should be too busy to get in trouble and i don't uh-huh. over, you know I don't believe you know I'm not, I don't mean overscheduling them, but oftentimes the hours that children are most likely to get into trouble is the after school hours. Talk a little bit about how athletics and, you know, giving them a safe place to come in and, you know, exude some of that yeah. energy.
2: For sure. Well, specifically with boxing and hype, there's a boxing mentor program for the boys and girls. We have about three girls, about ten boys, and then the stepping for the young ladies where we have about nine young ladies stepping in that portion. But for the boxing, the discipline and the accountability piece is huge because just as in life, if you don't do as you're told or if you don't do as you're instructed, you may have dire consequences. So as we tell the kids in the boxing ring, when you come in the ring and if I tell you keep your right hand up and you keep your, if you put your right hand down, you're going to get hit in the face. That's an immediate consequence for you yeah. not being disciplined enough to do what you're supposed to do. Same thing as in life. If you don't have the discipline to stick with it, then you may get into some very serious trouble by making the wrong decisions. From the accountability perspective, once again, boxing is an individual sport, just like life is an individual sport, kind of to to use the same kind of analogy or draw parallels. So, again, if you don't have the accountability of self and if you don't have the discipline within your life to do what you're supposed to do in the boxing ring, that means training properly. That means listening to your coaches. That means eating how you're supposed to do. That means actually taking the proper steps to become the best boxer that you can be. Then you're, you're not going to see the positive um, effects so or you won't see the same results in the ring. Well, what happens in life? In the classroom, if you don't do your homework. If you don't listen to your teachers, if you don't make the right choices, then you're not going to see the positive impact in your life. So we, we we see a lot of parallels. With well, sports overall, and as I alluded to before we got on the show and I was talking about right now, I'm at a car wash from my AAU basketball team. We're going to yeah. be going up to Boston um, to participate in the National AAU Championship thing with basketball. It's a team sport. So if you don't know how to work well with others, or if you don't know how to take coaching and be disciplined on the court, then you're not going to have positive um, results on the basketball court. Same thing with life. What do you do when you get in those, in those team environments or when you have to work with other individuals? Can you do so? Can you listen to your supervisor or your boss? when they're asking you to do something, or will you just blow up and say, I'm not going to listen to anybody? Well, if you do those things, you won't be employed. If you're not employed, how are you going to take care of your family? So there's many different, excuse me, there's several parallels between boxing, excuse me, between basketball or sports as a whole and the lives of of our little ones. And I agree with you. If we can keep them actively engaged in several different things, then they won't have time to get into some of the mischievous things that lead down to and have negative um, consequences on their lives. So, I mean, that was a very well stated point. We have well, to keep I, them busy.
1: Li- yeah, no, I think that's good. And, and Michael Fordham, I, I know you're listening in here. Before I bring Surrat on, uh, has West done a pretty good job of getting you fired up, Mike?
0: Oh, absolutely. Jump right in there. <laughs> and, and I like that analogy. Um, you know, the boxing, I always told people myself, it's the first sport, you know, because everything, if you could run, jump, and hunt better than someone else, that meant you ate. But if you could box, that's where you you win, and it means something a lot more than just that event. And And that's what sport is all about. And, um, you know, teaching people consequences. And young people do understand reputation. They understand discipline yeah. when you put it in the right context. So, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head and going the route you went.
2: Thank you.
1: Good stuff. Hey, hold tight right there, Wes. We want to bring uh, Sarai Davenport on. Mike, would you go ahead and introduce Great. him for us, please?
0: Saran Davenport served as the director of the City of Promise in Charlottesville, Virginia, where he and a team of neighbors, officials, and partners are building a cradle-to-college and career pathway for young people. Most recently, Davenport worked for the Knowledge is Power program in Washington, D.C., where he taught on teams seeking to build a culture of college-going in under-resourced communities. Davenport is an ordained Baptist minister and studied practical theology at the Samuel DeWitt Proctor School of Theology in Virginia Union University. He earned a B.S. degree in communications and a minor in English from Old Dominion University in 2001. At ODU, Sarad was a counselor for the Virginia Student Recruitment and Retention Program and competed nationally on the forensic and debate team. While in school, he also served as an internal communications intern with the New York Times. After graduation, Suraj delved into a career in media and educational technology. While in this field, he felt a unique call to make a difference in the lives of young people and their educational pursuits and made the shift to full-time work in the field of education. The culmination of his life experiences has led him back to his hometown of Charlottesville to lead the City of Promise initiative.
1: Brother Sarad Davenport, welcome back to the Brown Bay.
2: Thank you, sir. Glad to be back.
1: Oh, We're glad to have you on. Hey, I know you've been listening in on West, but before we jump into some, some hot topics that I really want to touch on with both of you all, let our listeners know a little bit about you and some of the work that you do there in the city.
2: Okay, so um, as mentioned in the introduction, I direct a program called the City of Promise, which is a a Department of Education recognized Promise neighborhood. Um, Charlottesville was fortunate enough to uh, receive a a planning grant um, a few years ago to begin a um, continuum of supports in Charlottesville to help um, young people in some of the most under-resourced communities to um, uh, have a pathway um, college or post-secondary education and ultimately a career. And it starts from the time that if even before the children are born, so there's programs for parents and parent education um, throughout their educational career and, um, and through college. So our job is to make sure that all the supports are connected All the agencies, institutions are operating um, together um, so that we um, eliminate barriers to success um, for young people in um, under-resourced communities. The the general idea is that your um, zip code should not um, dictate how far you can go in life. So no matter where you live in proximity, um, you can still be successful. And not only that, you can reflect success back into your community. That's what we're up to.
1: That's powerful, and that's tweetable, Sarad. Don't let your zip code limit your success. You you mentioned something, uh, serving underserving, underserved communities and the lack of resources. I was talking with a, a gentleman yesterday who um, just told me that he's now fostering four children, and he was in foster care himself, and something that you said a minute ago kind of just stood out. And what he told me yesterday was, he said, he said, "Mike, I just need, I want to be there the way somebody, uh, the way I needed somebody to be there for me when I was in the system, um, being there for some, you know, being there for those who, who need just a little bit of support. Talk a little bit about that and some of the impact that you're seeing in the city now that you've gone into some of these underserved communities."
2: Well, let me just say this: that uh, you know, our all of our work. Um, begins with the idea that people have their own assets and that communities have assets, and we take a very much so when programs or initiatives begin in um, under-resourced communities, it is um, a deficit mindset that is brought on to um, the initiative to say that there are no good things um, happening. So what I what I want to say is that is that all of our work um, identifies the strengths, you know, we come from a, a strength-based approach, That's recognizing that there are strengths in uh, communities, individuals, and families, and we have to leverage um, those strengths to make sure that we're helping to eliminate barriers to service. So, um, you know, I, I do want to say that first. So, um we don't think that we're going to come in and fix things or fix people. Right, our right, job right. is, you know, our job is to work together and, to, and, and for those systems that are already in place. So this is one thing. So universally, everyone needs support um, to become successful, and that's, that, that doesn't matter what uh, part of the socioeconomic spectrum that you start on if your family is wealthy then it is very um it is very certain that you'll probably benefit from your family's connections, associations, um that is support of a network, right? So mm-hmm. what we have to do for those who are not or what we have to help um produce and support for those who are not on the high end of the socioeconomic spectrum is to make sure that they have networks and associations and, and that there are no disconnects so that they can have the support they need to be successful. So everyone needs support to be successful. And it's just that people from um, under-resourced communities don't necessarily have the um, the connections, the associations that are needed. So So our job is to help Um, get to get institutions and to get agencies and service providers to speak a common language so that we can eliminate these barriers to service so that people can um, um, feel supported but also know that they have um, self-efficacy and agency within themselves.
1: Yeah, that's good. And, Wes, I want to bring you back on. Um, Some people look at problems and they just see problems. Some people look at problems and see possible solutions and um it's It's exciting to see you know two young men serving their community, tackling issues, getting their hands dirty, rolling up their sleeves. Wes, talk a little bit about um the event last night and some of the work you all are doing to try to you know stop some of this violence, stop some of these killings
2: all right well Sarah and i <laughs> some people have tried to give me more credit than I think it deserved for last night. Um, so Rad and I were having a conversation last week. We try and talk. Uh, I call him Morpheus from the Matrix, and he calls me Neo sometimes. <laughs> but so Rad is like the, the wise, wizard of Oz. We were having a conversation last week um, just about different solutions, because as he alluded to, we try to be solution-based. And how do we stop some of the things, or how do we show the people that we do care and we are here to help out? So and in our conversation, he was saying that he was thinking about different things and he wanted to reach out to different people across the country about how they handle different situations of violence. Because here in Charlottesville, although we have a lot of issues that they have, similarly, excuse me, we have similar issues that other cities have, um, in terms of just the, the, the flat-out violence, we don't normally have those things. And, and in the last few weeks, we have had those things. So, so Rad was saying that, you know, maybe we should do a walk just to show everybody and we walk through the neighborhoods to show everybody that we are unified, we are here in this together, and we are going to work to make a change. So last night we had the Peace Walk where we gathered maybe about 100 or so folks and we walked about a mile, I would say a mile or maybe a little under a mile, from this legal aid building through the neighborhoods in which some of the violence had taken place And it was really just to show the entire community, again, that we are here together. We are one group of people, and we want peace. We are not going to allow violence to override our neighborhoods. We control our neighborhoods, not the people who do, quote, unquote, bad things, but most importantly that we care, and we are not going to allow people to do things in our neighborhood and not hear from us about it. But furthermore than just walking, because that's just a symbolic thing, we have to be able to put, put instruments in place to tackle some of these systemic issues that we have. So Surab, myself, and a few other city and local leaders and some elected officials, we're working on a couple programs, one entitled My Brother's Keeper, another entitled Young Lions, in which we will be providing opportunities for these young men in our communities. And we have both programs. They're going to be ranging with kids from high school, excuse me, eighth and ninth grade all the way up through the age of 24, in which we not only provide opportunities for these young men to talk about some of the trauma in which they have encountered in their life, but also provide them with ways to overcome some of their obstacles. And we do those things by teaching them things like graphic design, giving them an opportunity to talk about some of the issues with trained licensed professionals, actually giving them opportunities for employment, hooking them up with individuals who have jobs, because opportunity high- is the thing that many of them are lacking.
1: Is this through Hype?
2: No, no, no. This is through a collaborative effort entitled the Black Male Achievement Initiative.
1: Excellent, excellent. Surad, you want to jump in on that and talk a little bit about some of the the work that's going on to uh, let the community know that you're there, and and perhaps you want to discuss the uh, walk last night as well.
2: Sure. Well, you know, for me personally, I have uh, an issue with – the fact that there is so much violence in um um particularly communities of color and particularly with those males and African American males specifically. And um I think that it's more a a human um a human rights issue um had these types of things been going on in, you know, other countries, other communities, um, at the rate that they have been in the African-American community, the world will be up and arms. So what that tells me is that there is a sense of uh, a lack of value of life, um, um, and I want to make sure that the entire community, that means, um, you know, white, black, Asian, everyone understands that all life is valuable. Because mm-hmm. when, you know you know, when the community begins to see that, only certain lives are valuable, then, you know, we can, we'll continue to see this type of violence in action because it, it shows that the, the world or society or even at the local and community level that um, only certain lives are valuable. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, we responded in such a way that showed that, that all life is valuable and it doesn't matter um, your socioeconomic status and that we need to make sure that we stand in solidarity for peace um, regardless of where a person comes from and that all life matters.
1: I think that's a great segue, you know, into uh, what I want to discuss next, and that's education. And the reason why I think they really connect is because oftentimes when you see youth that will hurt someone or kill someone, um, they often don't value other people's lives, and there's not much value on their own life. And I think, you know, if you see your future, if you see your goals in sight, if you see yourself being gainfully employed at some point, you're much less likely to put that into jeopardy with violence. So I think that education piece, you know, and that family piece is is so important, and it's really awesome to see you guys tackling it from, you know, from, from all those different perspectives. Now, you both are educators, and we'll start with you, Wes. Talk a little bit about how... Um, education can instill hope and and help young people towards reaching their goals. And then you can follow up, Sarah.
2: Okay. Yeah, well well I mean education literally is the one thing that no one can take away from you. Your the the amount of knowledge that you have is something that no matter where you go cannot be taken away. And what we have to do a better job at, and that's all of us included, we have to do a better job at making sure our little ones see the value in education. So often, many people feel hopeless because, again, they don't see the value in education. And then, as life continues to go on, they become in a pl- they get to a place where they're saying, "Well, man, I wish I would have paid more attention in school, or I wish I would have made this decision or that decision." But to a certain degree, and I personally believe that with education, individuals more often than not, tend to make wiser decisions. So if we can yes. get individuals and get our youth to realize that education is valuable. Education is something that can literally take you around the world. The the opportunities that can be afforded to you by having an education and progressing yourself through education can can be unbelievable. So, again, that's kind of our focus. We um. We're and I are also working on a program, a GED program here in the city, in which individuals who don't have their GEDs who live in any of the six public housing sites can take the GED class as well as take the GED test for free. And it's essentially a six-month class where we have support for them. They'll be going to class every week. We have people who will be working with them, people who will be making sure that they don't give up, and they will, again, get to take the course for free. And they, so that they can't see, hey, there's are right at the end of the tunnel. Now, once they get the GED, it's our responsibility to help them say, okay, this is one step. Now we have to go forward. Now we have to hook you up with individuals to get you a job. Now we have to push you to make sure you go and get a trade, get a skill. Hey, even get a associate's degree. Hey, even go get your bachelor's, go get your master's. Yeah. Because I was watching Mr. Eric Dyson, Michael Eric Dyson, yesterday, and he said that he didn't go to college until he was 21 years old. Mm-hmm. This man now has a doctoral degree from Princeton. So it doesn't matter when you start. It's about how you finish. And now mm-hmm. he's an individual who can literally go all across the world. We got to start with ed- education.
1: Absolutely. Sarah?
2: So in my heart, you know, I'm an educator. No matter what I do now, I'm, I'm a teacher, and I think that um, teaching is uh, the fundamental way to open um people up to new pathways and new dimensions. So um, I, I, I do have um, some issues with policy with regards to education and mm-hmm. not only that, um, you know, uh, pedagogical approaches because I think that the way in which you instruct um, dictates how well a child can do. And for some reason or another, our young men in particular are checking out of education, um, some people um, say that they 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 drop out mentally in mental school, and then they drop out physically in high school. Um, wow. But it doesn't it, it doesn't start there. It starts much earlier. It starts in early childhood. Um, we know the the, the the quote and the idea that that uh, prison um, prisons are built based on the third grade reading levels of young men. And, you know, this data is, is used to construct um, to construct the, 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 the designs for prisons. So, um, so my thing is that education is about um, relationships and relevancy. So mm. instructors and educators have to be able to develop um, personal relationships and meaningful relationships with their students, mm-hmm. um, and they also have to make education relevant. Because if education is, is is not relevant to my existence or my environment and the things that I have to go through on a daily basis, then um, it is not going to be something that I'm going to want to enter into. I'm not going to want to enter into that dimension unless you seek first to understand my dimension. So if you, you seek right. first to understand my dimension, and then surely I will come in and um, um, seek to understand your dimension and these, this other world. But you have to know um, where I'm coming from so that we can create a common language so that learning can mm-hmm. take place. And I think from a policy perspective, I think that's not happening, and that's why I think we're seeing some of the outcomes. And, you know, it's very controversial, you know, my my theory on this, and that is that, um, you know, we just celebrated the, the Brown case and um, what mm-hmm. happened as a result of that. And I think that, you know, it was great that Brown that Brown happened and it was a, a human rights issue. But I don't think that I don't think that there was an integration of pedagogical approaches. And wow. I think that there has to be an integration of pedagogical approaches. What happens is you end up having one pedagogical approach that alienates an entire population and the only way that you can Become successful in that environment is if you totally kind of assimilate and and act like your world doesn't exist, your 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 reality doesn't exist. And what has happened is psychologically and mentally and internally, many of our young men have rejected that. And their rebelliousness with regards to the educational system is a is a is a rejection of the of the pedagogical approach and there not being an, an integration of pedagogical approach. Um, So that is my theory. I could be wrong, but I
0: doubt
2: it. You make a a really good point.
0: You keep coming back to over and over again, and that is, um, you know, you have to get people to speak a common language. And the problem with that language is that sometimes it is, it's really, I don't know how else to put it, but it's a war against our young people. It's something that separates us from the people who would reach out to those by giving them uh, a different point of view of each other by the language that we use to describe one another. And, and this is a big problem because it's hard for people to support something when they don't really understand it, the true um, reason for the cause. And, and this is what's happening in media quite a bit. And I just want you to go ahead and focus on that a little bit because you brought it up again helping people to speak a common language define that portion show us some of the examples of how these things are um, are being you know spun in the wrong direction as far as our young people
1: and then what right. do you so, follow up after that
2: okay sure so uh what I what I believe that my primary role as the director of the pro, of the initiative that that I'm in charge of leading is to be translator um I think that outcomes, um, poor outcomes have to do a lot with the inability to communicate. Parents and neighbors can't communicate with the school, and it ends up being sometimes an adversarial relationship, and it's just a matter of communication and understanding. Um, because we all want the same things for our children, nobody grow nobody has a child that says, "I want my children to be a to grow up to be a murdering drug dealer right nobody nobody does that right but you know when you reject when, when there's a there's an issue with communication and people cannot communicate and there's a rejection there is a sense that um there is there is no hope within within systems. Then people begin to accept. They begin to say, "It is what it is, and this mm-hmm. is just reality." So, right. you know, our job is to help to build trust, um, and also to hold institutions, agencies, um, and systems accountable to what they say they are going to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So, if you say that you're committed to outcomes, then my job as translator is to say, "Now, now, look, you said this. Um, now." Not, now, you have to deliver on what you said that you were going to do because when you do what you say you're going to do, it's going to continue to build trust with the people who um, um, will ultimately benefit from some of these supports. So I see, you know, some of the leaders, our job is mainly to be translators and to eliminate barriers to service because we have to know how to um, uh, operate in different dimensions. The ability to operate in different dimensions is a valuable tool and, um, and, and those who can are, are really, I believe, the ones that are called to service. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. Well said. Uh, I, would, I would say yeah. to yeah, follow up on Sarai's point is not only is it our responsibility to be translators between the parents and the youth, but also uh, for other adults. One of the things that I really would like to get more involved in, and we've been trying to do more of this in terms of helping out with both of our local school divisions, is recruiting more African-American teachers who can relate to our youth. You know, African-American males represent less than 1% of the total teaching population in the country. That is an epidemic. (laughs) We have to have more African-American male teachers come into our schools and be willing to help translate and be the navigators for our young men and women, as well as for their parents. There's a comfort level that comes with seeing people who look like yourself. And that's not to say that um, white teachers can't be great teachers to African-American kids. However, when you only see African-American males in janitorial roles or in assistant support roles in terms of, or opposed to rather, actually being the teacher, being the principal, being the superintendent, then you have a problem. You are then breeding a group of people who think that the most that they can be is a janitor, or the most that they can be is a custodian, or they'll never actually be the ones who can make the decisions. Or when they do see individuals, who are African American males or African American females in administrative roles in their place or relegated? Excuse me, uh, placed in disciplinary only roles, or when you have assistant principals who are, who may be the only black male in the school, but his main job, his or her main job, is only for discipline. Then that too has a pro- We did, that too presents a problem. So we have to be able to get more of our African-American males specifically in our classrooms, taking on the task uh, to uh, be teachers, teachers and teachers, leading, leading our, our young children, women to the promised land. We have to be able to do so. And we can, and I'm, I'm very optimistic that we will be able to do so. It's just about being able to get our men to a point where they can say, hey, I don't necessarily want to go into, go down to Wall Street. Or I don't always want to aspire to be the CEO of a a Fortune 500 company because while those things are also great professions, what about the profession of helping out your fellow man or helping out the young man or woman who looks like you, who desperately needs you? What are you willing to sacrifice, my brother? And and that's good. And and,
1: and I appreciate you sharing that. And and within that, that's why I really appreciate the work that you all are doing in your nonprofits. With the job shadowing and some of the training aspects, because that that's very important. Then there's a realistic standpoint that says, um, why not go to Wall Street and make 120,000 and not versus being a teacher? Well, first of all, you, you, it's got to be a matter of of passion, you know, and being in the right in the right profession. Um, it, in other words, well, what I'm getting at with, with, with something that Sarad talked about, you know, if you can't relate, if you're not a very high-quality teacher, uh, and myself being an educator, you know, I just got be, be to be, be frank, gentlemen. You need to find another profession. Uh, <laughs> the stakes are too high. No, no, just, well. just real talk, you know. You need to find yeah, another fair. profession. And that's in, that's in any profession because the stakes are high. Um, but, but I think, you know, when you connect with young people and you can relate with them, then you can find that career path that that can really, you know, push them into their future. Anybody want to yeah. jump on that?
2: Can I ch- chime in there, Frank? Um, right. Hello? Yes, yes. Oh, um, so, yeah, I think that you shouldn't – I think one of the issues is that some people get into the teaching profession or the education or human service profession um, – for the wrong reasons and one of the, one of my approaches to education is uh, very much so and Mike you might appreciate this being in counseling and things of that nature is um I, you know we have you know they talk about trauma informed care <laughs> i think I think that there is a such thing as a trump trauma informed education right wow. so how do you educate um, folks who have experienced trauma in one way or the other, right? There's a certain delicacy or a certain approach. And I think that if you, can't, if you can't be sensitive to some of the things that some of our most vulnerable students go through and you put yourself in a position where you can shape their future, if, you, if you're not sensitive enough to have a trauma-informed approach to education, then you need to do something else. You yeah. need to just you need to just move on, and if Wall Street is your thing,
1: and that's fine okay. because
2: but that's cool. Okay. I got no problem with that. You know, you need to get in where you fit in, but you do not need to be in the place where um, where we are trying to guide. I, I I I see it as soul guiding, like you're guiding souls, right? Um, and I go from pedagogy to psychogogy. Right, so if you're if you're not in that <laughs> whole artist,
1: I, I think if you're talking about Wes. You're just too deep for us, man. No, my bad, my bad, my
2: bad. <laughs> no, but but if, if if you're not in that, man, it's cool if you if you're doing something else. Maybe maybe you your your passion will align later. But yeah. in that moment, you know, it's just not appropriate. And we need people who really care, who are passionate, who really want to see a change. Um, and I think actually passion. Um, we, can, you, we can get you the pedagogy. We can get you the skill level. We can teach right. you how to be a good teacher. But if you don't have the passion, then, you know, I don't think that you should be in a professional.
1: And, Wes, okay. I want to bring you in, uh, but I do want to preface it with this. Um, we talk about, you know, the importance of having highly qualified teachers. And big shout-out to all the teachers that are doing it every day, who bring their hard hat, who are, you know, putting up with the issues in the classroom, who are performing, Big shout-out, because oftentimes, you know, in conversations like this, uh, it might sound a little lopsided, but there are great teachers out there who bring it every day. And, and Wes, I wanted to bring you in on this and talk about, you know, leadership. Uh, you're a teacher, but at the same time, you're, you, you, you lead a nonprofit, and that's what I think educators have to also get. You can make a salary, and it might not be, you know, com- might not be on the same scale as Wall Street, but, you know, you can make a good salary and do well, and find other opportunities elsewhere. Uh, talk a mm-hmm. little bit about how you've been able to do that, and how you define leadership.
2: Well, thank you. Uh, that's a fantastic question. I think the need, the need for me, the need defines the work. So if you see a need, and if you're an initiative-based individual, then it should be our responsibility to address the needs. I think too often we say that, hey, well, man, this should be done or that should be done. And instead of, I, I choose to look at it as opposed to saying this should be done or that should be done, that's an opportunity for you to do so. And, you know, as you alluded, alluded to, you know, I think while well, you may, be, may have been getting that, uh, so many individuals say, you know, well, my salary, I'm a teacher, I may not make um, but X, Y, and Z amount of dollars, and I may need to do more. Well, if you still have the passion to still help people, you can indeed do more by going about, or going out and creating your own opportunity. Um, But I would say that I wouldn't suggest anyone create a nonprofit or anything of that nature to make money because, personally, I don't think nonprofits are the way in which you should be trying to make money or get rich. It should be your opportunity to help people because your nonprofit organization shouldn't be a profit to you. It should be a profit to those who you're trying to help. So, again, but while you're not making, you may not be making a profit, you may have the opportunity to impact someone else's lives, and be, us being able to um, take advantage of different opportunities is very important because opportunities, in my opinion, only come by once a lifetime. You may have different opportunities to do other things, but this one in particular opportunity that may be knocking at your door, you don't know when that opportunity will come about again. I didn't know if I would have the opportunity to start a non-profit organization again Um, so I also didn't know whether or not I'd be able to go to law school again but I chose the opportunity of going with the boxing club and starting a non-profit because I wanted to give that same opportunity to other little kids here in our area so that's the one that I chose to go with so your passion can lead you to several different things it's just about going out and taking advantage of the opportunity that's in front of you as well as taking advantage of the opportunities in front of you.
1: Good, good. So, Rad, uh, talk a little bit about how you define leadership and what are some of the characteristics that you believe make a highly effective leader?
2: Um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I want to make sure that I don't um, come across as uh, uh, potentially negative about educators, also because you know I respect the profession and there are some phenomenal educators out there doing great work. And um, I Absolutely. wouldn't be where I am. I would be where I am if it wasn't for some educators who were um, instrumental in my life. So I'll make sure that's clear. Um, but leadership, I think, one of the greatest characteristics of a good leader is self-reflection. Mm. Um, the ability to good. Um, take time out and to look at yourself um, very um, objectively, to be able to receive feedback and constructive criticism. Um, and what is the test of the leader is that the leader that can respond to that self-reflection, that, self-reflection, that constructive be that in a positive way, and to grow, and to and to take um, the nourishment from correction and um, and self reflection, um, and become a better person, um, and in turn become a better leader. I think that that those are the things that make um, people good leaders. Those who are able to not only hear but listen. Um, um and, and and gain wisdom from others and to be able to sift between what is, you know, kind of emotional the emotional criticism of others and those things that may even have some truth that we are just not willing to to see. So I um so I, I think that reflection is is critical to leadership and um, for me I think it's the most critical thing. That's good, Can I Can I chime in just a little bit on that? Uh, One thing that Surad has also been able to to teach not only myself but several other individuals is something that he just said. But I don't think we oftentimes take into account the importance of listening to others because one thing that you must know as being a leader is that you don't know everything. There are other individuals who, indeed, know more about certain things than you do. So a wise individual will listen to those people and take heed to what they say in order to make you better. I think also one thing that we, we, uh, we forget when we think about leadership is that when you're in a leadership position, you must be able to do the things that others aren't willing to do. Yeah. When in leadership, you must be the one who's willing to go the extra mile. And, yes, it may be tiring. Yes, you may have to sacrifice a few things. But as the leader, you must ensure that it gets done. And if that means that although you may have delegated a task or two and that person may have fell short, it is your responsibility to see to it that it gets done, even if it means you have to do it yourself. And I think some of us have to keep in mind that we have to be willing to go the extra mile for the betterment of our people, specifically in our leadership style. Listening and being able to go the extra mile because the leader can't get tired. The leader yeah. can't say I don't want to do this today. The leader can't say, well, you know, maybe I'll go at him tomorrow. No, you must go at it every single day.
1: That's good. That's good. We got a few minutes left here, Sirad. So what would you say to that person who says, you know, I might not ever be a director of an organization. Um, I might not lead a nonprofit, but I want to do something. I see the need. I want to help out. What would you say to that person who's on the sideline? um and really wants to roll their sleeves up and, and help their community.
2: Well in the words of Doctor Martin Luther King, anyone can serve. <laughs> he <laughs> said Your <laughs> subject your subject and your verb do ha do not have to agree but you just serve. Right. Wow. So, you know, uh service is something that everyone can do and I and you know you want to make sure that your um what the capacity that you serve in um has alignment with your passion so there has to be alignment but um you know not to get too biblical but um
1: go there go um, there man
2: you know he who is greatest among you shall be your servant right mm-hmm. so um you know going into the places where you're uplifting others and serving others is an honorable thing to do. And, um, and, and, and it's just, there's so much work to do. Yeah. Um, the harvest is plentiful. <laughs> there's so yeah, much a... work to do. Um, and, is. and, you know, you just have to find something that has alignment with your, your passion and, and serve, and, and, and there's so many benefits and blessings from serving um, others.
1: Wow. Now, Wes, mm-hmm.
2: what would you say
1: to that young person who might be listening, and maybe you'll allow some of your young people, you know, to listen in on this this recording as well. What would you say to that young person who, who might be struggling, who, you know, wants to do well, but maybe there's some skill deficits there, or maybe there's some family issues um, that, they're, mm-hmm. that they're facing, but down deep what? on the inside, there's a, there's a tenacity. They want to be successful. What would you say to encourage that young person?
2: We cannot allow the situations that may be going on outside of us to impact our personal responsibility to do well, meaning that mm. we can't allow what's going on at home. We can't allow what may be, we feel, internally stopping us from doing something to stop us from giving back to our community. I always tell the young people that we deal with on a day-to-day basis that effort does not require talent. Effort Mm. is free. Effort does not require talent, and effort is free. To give back does not require you to be a fantastic speaker, to be um, a motivational speaker, to be this grand-dose individual who tons of people want to follow. You don't have to be those things to give back. You can give back every day in just your day-to-day actions. You can give back by having good manners. You can give Mm. back by being a person who opens the door for that elderly lady. You can give back by when you're in school saying that I'm not going to follow the crowd. I'll be the individual who steps out and lets people know that, hey, brothers, morally we shouldn't be doing this or that. You can Mm. give back by saying I'm not going to talk about that young girl today. I'm not going to call her names. I'm going to step up for that kid who may be getting picked on. You know, you can give back in very small ways like that, and those things don't require money. Those things don't require talent. That's free. So you can give back. And again, service, service is something that we can all do in our own way, but we must do it every day. And that's That's how the world gets better. Again, service, we can do it in our own way, but we have to do it every day. Effort does not require talent.
1: That's good. Hey, Sarat, I know you're the pastor-elect, but it sounds like Wes has got a little preaching in him too, man.
2: He don't, he don't know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> he, he don't know it yet, but he's coming.
1: Uh-huh. Hey, hey. <laughs> hey, Mike, I tell you, these two guys are something else, aren't they, Mike?
0: Oh, man, they, they are dedicated, motivated, and, and doing the do, man. And uh, it, it's amazing because it's hard not only to get out there and connect and, and to do the work, but sustain that. You know, that's the tough part, mm-hmm. hanging in there no matter what. And uh, I have to applaud you guys for just, you know, doing everything it takes to be able to make these kind of programs work because, as uh, you mentioned, uh, Sarad, in the beginning, not everybody was on board, you know. so
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah it, 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 it takes um, work. Um, building relationships and trust takes time.
1: Yeah. Well, how, how can uh, people get in contact with you gentlemen? Or maybe there's some 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 contact information that you can pass along. Maybe they might want to reach you to, you know, connect with their young person or um, connect with you in any way. Uh, let's start with you, Sarad. How can people get in touch with you and some of the work you're doing?
2: Sure. If they would like to just kind of see what we're up to, you're welcome to um, like us on Facebook and keep up with us there on Twitter. Um, I believe we have a... Um, uh, Instagram page now, and um, also our website is um, cityofpromise.org, um, cityofpromise.org, and you're welcome to check us out there, um, and and you can connect with us through the website if you like. Um, we are we are you know always available, always willing to listen and to help in any way we can, um, and if they wanted to call our our phone number is four three four two two zero kids. And that's 434-220-KIDS.
1: Excellent, excellent.
2: And Wes? Sure, you can um, reach me at any time on Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. I'm always on Instagram. Uh, my Twitter handle is West Bellamy, uh, excuse me, just at West Bellamy, W-E-S-B-E-L-L-A-M-Y. Um, the hype site is evolve org. It's all one word, www.helpingyoungpeopleevolve.org. You can like us on Facebook at hype underscore Charlottesville. Um, the Columbia's Facebook handle is Hype Columbia. Um, you can also um, send us an email. I'm always open to, to reading emails if you want to contact me personally. Um, WestBellamy1 at gmail.com. You can reach us at hype at h.y. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. So feel free to contact us at any time.
1: Awesome. Wes Bellamy and Sarad Davenport, man, I sure appreciate you guys for being on the show, but for more importantly, the work you do in the community each day.
2: Thank you both. Thank you for having us on, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, man, it was awesome. It was awesome. Thank you both. And uh, we look forward to uh, being in contact with you. Well, folks, you heard it today, another great broadcast with two phenomenal leaders who thought it not robbery to give back to their communities. What is in your hand that you can give back to your community and empower and positively impact another life? Use it, maximize it to motivate someone else to be their best. As always, we love you with the love of Christ. Until next time, love God, love people, and live on purpose.